Welcome to Chicago Justice Show. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out all about our work at chicagojustice.org or get involved at cjpnation.org. So today's show, we're going to talk about the New York Police Department Sergeant Benevolent Association, their union. The offices were raided. The president's home was raided. It's a fascinating story. It's going to sound very familiar what we deal with in Chicago with the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. And then we're going to talk about CPD's foot chase policy problems. They continue. Um, they continue, and they're going to keep continuing. And then our last segment, if we got time, is CPS school to prison pipeline is very strong. Despite all the efforts to get cops out of schools, it's amazing how bad they have been and consistently at a handful of schools just really, really bad. Okay, we're going to jump right in. Our first segment, FBI agents descend on headquarters of New York Police Department's Sergeant's Union. is called the Sergeant's Benevolent Association. So their president, Ed Mullins, has been president of the union for 20 years. On Tuesday, 10-5, his offices were raided. Now, we'll get more into it. I want to play you a... Um, segment from the Chris Hayes show on MSNBC it gives you a good synopsis of his history and how awful it is and how awful of a person Mr. Mullins is it's really really pretty sad so we're going to play that on the other end other side we'll talk more about some of the details what the union has done in response um, we didn't have a, a lot of the details about why he was raided, but we have more. Why the raid originally happened, there were very few details, but we have details about why that why the raids happened and some fallout from the, um, after the raids. But first, let's uh, we'll deal with uh, Chris Hayes, and I'll be back in two minutes and around around two and a half minutes. While we are on air Tuesday night, the news broke that Ed Mullins, the head of one of the largest police unions in the country, had resigned after his home and office were raided by the FBI. Since then, things have not gotten any better for the now former president of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association. New York Post reported today, quote, high-ranking law enforcement officials told the Post the feds are investigating the possible misappropriation of union funds and seeking evidence of mail and wire fraud. Union officials told members Wednesday that its funds are good and said it would not be providing Mullins with legal representation which is pretty extraordinary considering that Ed Mullins was the face of that union for nearly 20 years and, you know, stuck it out, stayed in the job throughout countless controversies like the QAnon mug that was positioned behind him for multiple TV interviews and the time he tweeted the arrest record of New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's daughter, who was attending a protest, and the time he called the city health commissioner a bitch with blood on her hands, and the time he called then-city councilman Richie Torres a, quote, first-class whore, Again, these weren't like off-the-record things he tweeted those. Or the time he suggested cops should be allowed to sue the estates of people they shoot for emotional damages. Or the time he emailed a racist video to thousands of police sergeants with a personal message saying, and I quote, pay close attention to every word. You will hear what goes through the mind of real policemen every single day on the job. This is the best video I've ever seen telling public the absolute truth. What was in the video? Well, the narrator in the video that Mullins tells people to listen to every word of calls the absolute truth 
uh, says things like, quote, the projects will always be dens of crime and violence. Cops will continue to wade into that fray and blacks will continue to attack and ambush us forever. Mullins later claimed he hadn't seen the whole video, even though he wrote to listen to every word, adding, quote, I have black friends, white friends, Asian friends. I wouldn't want to insult anyone. I don't think one incident defines who I am. It wasn't just that one incident. It was multiple incidents over decades as the leader of one of the largest police unions in the entire country. Ed Mullins has now been stripped of his gun and badge, put on modified duty, but he's still a sergeant in the NYPD. Doesn't have his gun, but uh, had been for the last 20 years deputized by the city to enforce its laws, kill if necessary. How can you ask people to trust a system that gives a man like Ed Mullins so much power? All right, so you see, do you see the similarities between Ed Mullins and John Catanzara, the head of the Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police? They're very similar. Very, very similar. Ed Mullins, 20 years. Um, Catanzara's only been a couple, so they're not similar in that fashion. But remember, Catanzara has 50 complaints on the job. 50 over his 23 years careers. Both of them are stripped of their badges and guns, so they're not really cops anymore, at least at the time being. They're both being investigated and uh, for internal um, or for misconduct that through internal investigations could lead to their firing. For Catanzaro, this is his third in those 23 years. Catanzaro, what did he do? He, he supported the insurrectionists. The day after, I didn't see anything wrong there. I understand their frustration about the election being stolen. I don't think there was anything wrong with that. Just a little, some angry people. Something you would definitely get out of Mullins. I mean, they're very, very similar. If you go to our report on our website, uh, John Catanzaro, 23-year his, history of misconduct and social media um, posts that are degrading to everyone. Any and everyone he possibly can, he can throw uh, under um, the bus he did or has. He's uh, anti-Muslim, anti-women, anti-trans, um, supporting, um, which is part of the reason he's on trial now in front of the police board. He had a uh, post, uh, political post in uniform with his car supporting the president, supporting the Second Amendment, which is all against the rules. He knows he doesn't care. Much like Ed Mullins. Now, a little more details into the Mullins investigation. Mullins is being investigated for a variety of crimes, including wire fraud, mail fraud. So there are some things with money that he used the internet and must have had to... Mail fraud makes me think that he had to file some kind of documents with the government. It could have literally has been as easy as his tax returns. If he mailed in his tax returns and they're, um, you lied on them, that's mail fraud. Wire fraud is probably sending something electronically over the internet or the phone, but most likely the internet in this day, these days and this day and age. Um, so what happened? The SBA, uh, Sergeant's Benevolent Association, very quickly, very, very uncharacteristic for a police union, almost within hours asked for his resignation. Um, and within a day or two, he actually resigned. They also put out 
very quickly that they're not representing him. Now think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Think about what you got to do to not be represented. And if I was Mullins, I would cry foul. What do you mean you're not representing me? Maybe because it wasn't on the job. Although if he stole while being the president of the union, one would think that has something to do with being on the job at the union. But anyways, they, the, the, the FOP, the police union, paid for the representation for Jason Van Dyke murdered Laquan McDonald. They've paid for the representation of every bad cop. I'm sure they paid the SBA or whatever association, if there was a sergeant association, or the police unions paid for the representation of officers involved in the Eric Garner murder. I had to, right? So it's interesting that they have just so thrown Mullins under the bus. It makes you think that they were um, predisposed into getting rid of him. And maybe with these raids, the politics just were such that Mullins couldn't pull his weight around there anymore, throw his weight around there. So he, um, they cut him loose. It's interesting to me, when you look at these raids, you think they're looking for massive amounts of evidence. I think they're basically looking for, I think when these raids happen, they're looking for evidence of stuff that they already know is coming. Oh, yeah, they almost always, we got a comment on, um, I think on Twitch. Yeah, they almost, they almost always represent cops uh, and union officials. It's really surprising that they're not. I don't understand why they're not. Um, but we'll get more, um, as the details become more apparent about what he actually did. The union statement about their funds are good makes me, th I don't know. Maybe he's maybe that means Mullen's involved in some criminality that doesn't involve union funds or union business at all, and it's on his personal life, and that's what he's being accused of. And thus, they're using that out to um, not have to represent him. I mean, you got to understand. Give me a little more context about representing you. In around two thousand five ish, maybe later, maybe eight, nine. The feds went after John Burge for lying in interrogatories, perjury about whether or not he tortured people uh, while he was in the Chicago police officer. But this was a federal court going after him because he was being sued and he supposedly lied in the interrogatories. And the police union voted to, to pay for his representation, a million dollars. They put a million dollars into someone who had been retired 10, 15, 18 years, something like that. And they paid a million dollars for his representation. So the fact that they're, the sergeant's union isn't paying for Mullins, it's very, it's very interesting that that's, um, that's what's going on. It's um, very, okay. We'll, um, we'll bring you more as it comes. Um, there hasn't been a lot since the fact that he, uh, they said it was related to wire fraud and mail fraud, the fact that they asked for his resignation, the fact that he resigned. Um, and that they're not going to pay for his representation. I can't wait to see what Holyoke Van Lau um, comes up with about what he did. Okay. Second segment's article from BEZ about CPD foot chases. Chicago police had inaccurate, inaccurate data about foot chases and missed deadline for reforming chase policy, Monitor says. 
The monitor. Who's the monitor? The monitor is a court-appointed person that is overseeing enforcement and engagement and um, coming into compliance with the what's called what's active in Chicago federal consent decree, which is overseen by a federal court judge. Um, Maggie Hickey is the name that's coming into my head of who is the um, who's overseeing it. Now, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know anything about Maggie Hickey's background, but I know two of the people that are working on this investigation are incredibly pro-police. Dr. Dennis Rosenbaum, uh, retired um, from the University of Illinois, Chicago, and Laura Kennard, if that name sounds familiar, she spent less than a year, I think about eight months, as the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety. She was the first one was a massive, tragic, unbelievably horrific hire by Joe Ferguson as the first person. Um, I told the media at the time when they announced her name that she was utterly horrible, um, specifically the Daily Line, specifically Mike Forche. I told him that over a phone call when her name was um, announced, he called me for some comment, and I went off about how bad Laura was. She lasted all of eight months. So this is at least part of the team that's enforcing this consent decree to tell you when they're catching the CPD doing things, I don't think these two people want to catch the CPD in doing anything. They're incredibly pro-police, but that just should give you some content about just how bad the police are doing trying to get in line with this consent decree. So let's go to the article. High among the concerns, the police department missed the September 3rd deadline for adopting a new foot chase policy. That's true, they didn't miss a September 3rd deadline. And they also missed a September, uh, July 1st deadline. After missing the July 1st deadline, they were given the September 3rd. Now they have a draft of a new one, and we're going back with Second City Cop Blog, I guess they implemented sort of somewhat of a new one, although it remains to be seen back in May. Um, I think he's, they're confusing. I think Second City Cop's confusing with the draft that the superintendent put out. I don't think they actually had, um, put it into place. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that draft is awful, awful. Um, it is so weak to be meaningless. So let's get back to the article. A temporary updated policy was released in May, <laughs> but it still widely allows officers to run after people. The independent monitor group was regularly meeting with the city and police department to create a final policy on police chases. But then the police department told them its foot pursuit dashboard had data that was likely inaccurate. And, it's, and it disabled the dashboard, according to the report. The CPD giving the public um, wrong data? Fascinating. We'll go back to the article before I comment on everything. The group repeatedly asked the city and police department to explain what was wrong with the data and if it had been corrected or if its efforts were being made or if there were efforts being made to correct it, but the police and city didn't provide full answers, according to the report. The CPD lying about data? No, that never happens. Not giving full answers? Unbelievable. To date, we still don't have, we still do not have many of these answers and have only received partial explanations regarding the scope of the data issues and plans ahead, according to the report. At another point, it was noted, it is also likely that these data issues will, will not be resolved soon. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've been telling you over and over and over again, the administration the functionality of the police department, the supervisory roles, all the data collection, all the 
things that are supposed to be running this as a modern 21st century um, data-driven agency are broken. They either don't exist or they're completely and utterly broken. Foot pursuits, incredibly dangerous. New policies, protect police officers um, as much as citizens. You look at the Anthony Alvarez shooting. They chased him on that foot pursuit. They chased him for a suspended, driving on a suspended license. Now, you see in the video, because there's audio, by the time he gets to them and shoots Anthony there and murders him, there is, well, kills him, arguably whether or not it's a murder, but he kills him. You see the officer lose sight of Anthony as Anthony ducks around the house, turns a corner. When the cop turns the corner, Anthony Alvarez has a gun in his hand running away, and Anthony is shot multiple times in the back. The cop, when Anthony's basically bleeding out on the ground and Anthony says, why did you shoot me? The cop says, well, you had a gun. And then 30 seconds a minute, two minutes later, when other cop gets on the scene, the shooting officer, I don't remember his name, the officer who did the shooting says, the damn kid turned a corner, dude, what a gun. He, he could have been, um, he could have been, you know, um, lying in wait once he turned. Well, yes. That's why that foot chase should have never been allowed to occur. I think one of the rules for foot chases should be once you lose sight of them, especially on minor things, that's it, it's over. I don't want officers turning corners and blind alleys and around corners they have no visual on person. Why do we want them doing that and risking their lives over petty things, like driving on a suspended license? I don't understand. I think at times I put more... Um, I have more concern for the well-being of the police officers than the cops do. Second City Cop Logs arguing with us on Twitter, new policy put in place. I don't think it was. I think they're completely wrong. And it stops from us from doing all this foot chases. It doesn't stop you from doing anything. It just asks you to think whether or not it's the best thing to do. It should stop them. I think there should be a felony rule. If it's not, I think chases should be restricted to someone about, you knowingly about to commit a violent felony, just committed a violent felony. That's it. There should be no chases. Then we could ratchet up which of those things are allowed to occur once you lose sight of the offender. What, now, people try to compare the Anthony Alvarez case to the Adam Toledo case, and I don't think they compare. Oh, my God, oh, my God, I know the left's going to come down on me. They don't compare. I don't want Adam Toledo to be shot, but I also don't want people shooting eight times at cars, at a car. When that officer got out of the car, he had he knew there was a report sh shot. There were calls for shots fired. Um, shot spotter, which is a horrible technology, but was correct in this thing, identified eight shots. They get to near the scene. They see two people in an alley. One has a gun. They pursue them on foot, the foot chase. They never lose sight of them down that alley. That's arguably a foot chase we want to occur. It was a public interest. There was a violent felony. Shooting at people in a car is a violent felony. Violent felony, it just occurred. There was no reason to believe another violent felony wasn't going to occur. I don't think even if we put in one of the top foot pursuit policies in the country, that that foot pursuit would have been stopped or should be stopped. That is, 
to me, the Anthony Alvarez and Adam Toledo pursuits are completely and utterly different. From the start, the Adam Toledo call was a violent felony. It is a miracle they didn't hit anyone in the car that um, Anthony shot at, or I think it's the other, the male adult he was with, they, they have evidence that he shot at them. He shot eight shots at a car with filled with people that was moving. How, how, it's luck that no one got shot or died. So they're responding to a violent felony. In this case, with Anthony Alvarez, it's driving on a suspended license. You could argue maybe the foot pursuit, although I don't think we should have the foot pursuit at all, but it could have gone on as long as you don't lose sight of them. And once you lose sight of them, that's it, it's over. To say they're both similar, I think does a disservice and it's dishonest. This, uh, disservice to everyone and having this discussion that is badly needed, but it's also dishonest because I don't think they're the same. Could we argue that, and I posed this question on the show, but Anthony Elvers would still be alive had he been white because the cop would have waited another heartbeat to figure out whether or not he had the gun and whether he was pointing the gun at him? Possibly. Possibly. Um, but just say it should have never happened, I, I highly question that. And then it was all highly racist and all these things. No, man. There was a violent felony had just been committed. They were going in to see, to stop it or to um, get the offenders. I think most people would say, no, we want violent felons caught. We can argue a bunch, bunch of degrees below that. And I think we would agree on 99% of that, but I just don't think they're the same. Now, are we going to get a strong foot pursuit policy and national best practice out of uh, Superintendent Brown and Mayor Lightfoot? Absolutely not. Are we going to get the weakest most uh, benign, useless foot pursuit policy possible by those two, you absolutely better believe it. The only hope that we have in getting any kind of foot pursuit policy that means that has any real impact on the street is Maggie Hickey is the consent decree. That's it. Brown and Lightfoot are going to wash that thing down as, as, as to make it as weak and useful and pitiful as humanly possible. Okay, we're going to get quickly to our third segment. Third and final segment of the day. As many Chicago schools remove cops from hallways, data shows some schools send kids to police at alarming rates. All right, so when you see the story, that's the headline from CBS News. I do believe, uh, so this is CBS News. It's a story about, it's basically the story revolves around um, a young black woman, 16 years old, named... Um, Digma Howard, if I'm pronouncing that right. 16-year-olds all the time that she's now an adult at Marshall High School. And while I'm not going to play the video because I don't want to go in, the, the incident's horrible, and I'm not trying to um, not take what happened to her. I'm not trying to degrade it at all. It was awful. She sued. She should have gotten more money. She got her money. She should get it. She probably should have gotten more. However, for our purposes, I want to look at the bigger picture numbers that come up in this story that I think are really buried in it. So the course, through the course of the 2017-18 school year, 7,700 students were referred to or sent to the CPD by CPS officials, school officials. That's 3% of the total population of the schools. Some schools have vastly higher rates of referring kids. 
Marshall, which Miss Howard went to, and her incident happened in there. Four out of every 10 students in the school were referred to the Chicago Police Department. If that is not the school-to-prison pipeline exemplified, I have no idea what would be. Marshall, that net rate of 4 out of 10 was 14 times the district average. 14 times. Marshall, one out of 26 schools, one out, it was one out of 26 schools that was at least three times or more the average, the average of the district. 20, those 26 schools have 3% of the total population of students in, the, in CPS, Chicago Public Schools, if you're not, not following that. They referred 16% of all students. 16%, just those 26 schools. There's like 475 schools. Students with individualized specialized age education plans, special ed students, mostly, right? General term that you're more familiar with, which is what Ms. Howard was, had a double rate of being referred. Kids with disabilities were referred to police double. 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 It's mind-blowing. Here's some more stats. Marshall had 95 students with an individualized education program or plan, I'm sorry. Okay, an IEP, special education kids. That year, 44 were referred to police. Half. Just under half. It's unbelievable. Now the deceit by CPS. Broken data, broken systems. This is why transparency is so unbelievably vital. Unbelievably vital. We need a Freedom of Information Act in Illinois. We need a, an entire change to how our government functions from the very beginning, which is every piece of data they collect is open for the public and must be reported on a schedule. Whether that's weekly or monthly or quarterly, it must be done. You cannot trust them to operate in darkness. So here's CPS's deceit, and then we'll get to the CP, CPD's deceit. From the article, CPS reports its own similar data on its website, but the data the district makes available to the public shows far fewer referrals to police, according to the CPS. Just 2,009 students were sent to the police during the 2017-18 school year. More than 5,500 fewer students than they reported to the federal government. Man, that sink in. The school's dashboard was off by almost a factor of three. It's unbelievable. Bring in the feds or go hire Patrick Fitzgerald or one of those types of ex-U.S. attorneys, make their investigation public, give them a grand jury, and have them rip open CPS and find out what the hell happened here. And if people were doing things on purpose, lock them up. We need to make that, that issue, that has to be felonies. For anything that's federally funded, that should be a federal felony for failing to report data publicly like that. Now, the reason it's 2017 and 18 data and not 
more current because that's the only data the 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 um most recent year available but by the department of education nationally now we get to the deceit from cpd pierre and trip the two officers in the howard case removed were removed from school and discipline after uh, were removed from the school and discipline after surveillance cameras Surveillance camera video of the incident was finally released in April 2019. Pierre was given a 120-day suspension for grabbing Digman, dragging her down the stairs, and stepping on her. Tripp was suspended for two days for failing to activate her body camera. But hold on. The deceit and disgustingness continues. While the Chicago Police Department Accountability Office, COPA, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, acknowledged the officers initiated physical contact with Digma, Neither officer was disciplined for the inaccurate information in the police report, which claims she started the altercation. In its investigation, COPA said they were unable to determine whether the officers gave false, test false testimony to the third officer who filled out the report, or whether that officer misinterpreted what Pierre and Tripp told them. What? Ladies and gentlemen, all police reports should be sworn documents, perjury, and official misconduct felonies if you lie. Every officer in every incident should have to file sign on to the main the, the 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 main police report and if they disagree they can write up their own actually they should have to write up their own at the end of their shift wait a minute what they can't prove what We're, it's 2021 this is probably 2019 2018 when they wrote this what the hell is going on that these cops are still playing games covering up for each other? All right, so that's all deceit there, deceit by CPS. The numbers are staggering that these schools. We will see um, if Lightfoot, if Mayor Lightfoot does anything. Now remember a month ago, month and a half ago, a CPS was coming back into school. A number of schools had voted out and voted out cops out of the schools. And what did, what did, what did the CPD do? Eh, they sent them anyways. Now that got into the media and eventually the cops pulled the cops out. The CPD pulled the cops out. The cops pulled the cops out. CPD pulled the cops out of the schools. They voted not to have school resource officers there anymore. What are we doing when, we're, when that few of schools is sending that many kids? You would think that they would just put in, let's find ways to not report so many kids from those schools. Let's put in 10 social workers into those schools and try to find better ways. Bring in massive dispute resolution. Bring in a bunch of new special education teachers. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Nope, we can't do anything. No, nope, it's all about money. It's all about keeping the power of this criminal justice system that brings no one no one or almost no one justice. So I do have one quick sort of announcement, which is CJP is uh, in the process of developing, hopefully, either an offshoot to this podcast or another podcast on what is justice. And we're going to take a 360 view of the justice system and 
try to help dig into that question. I know we're so used to, we all use the word justice, but do we know what the hell we mean with it? And how does justice differ by survivor of crime, by type of survivor of crime, but type means what was you were a victim of? And can the justice system do that? What do the police think justice means? What do prosecutors think justice means? What do judges think justice means? And can we find any of it in the system we have created to bring us justice? I think um, it's wildly misunderstood. And just real quickly, I used to be in jewelry business. And when I used to be in a suburb and we would call the cops anytime someone stole from us. And the cops would go track down the person. These are bad check people, mostly. And the cops would go talk to them and say, listen, we're going to come arrest you tomorrow if, in, unless the piece of jewelry winds up, you know, you, what you did, especially if people who closed their accounts, wrote a check and then closed the account, it's a felony, depending on how much money it is, right? Or it's a misdemeanor most of the time. And so they'll just say, hey, you, you wrote a bad check. We know it. We've got the check and everything. It came back from the bank. You know... We're going to have to come arrest you but tomorrow, but if you, um, if that jewelry pops back in the store tomorrow in the mail, if it's in the mailbox, don't go talk to them. Just throw it in the mailbox. If it ends up back in the mail slot, we won't have to call you tomorrow. And 9 out of 10, 99% of the time, the jewelry just ended up back in the store. Now, from the jewelry business, that was good enough for us. That was great. It took us very little time. We got the thing back. And honestly, I was fine with people going about their lives on petty theft stuff. And, you know, Chicago, under Kim Fox, she put in this this policy. She won't charge retail theft, I think felony retail theft, unless it's over $1,000. And the, the Chamber of Commerce went nuts. And I'm like, I don't know what you think you're getting. Like, for me, the one case we had where the kid wouldn't return it, we had to go and prosecute the kid. The kid ended up with pleading to some misdemeanor, but I wasted time going back and forth. I didn't get my, the store didn't get their jewelry back. They paid me for days I was not at work, and this kid got a record. None of that, that entire situation brought justice to no one. It was a loss to everyone. It was a loss to the business. It was a loss to the cops and prosecutors wasted time. It was lost to this, this, this young kid. It was a loss on all those scales. Across the whole thing, no one won. It was just a loss for everyone. So somehow in our thinking, and just, that justice system and going through that process is going to bring us justice. I'm obviously from, I'm jaded. I don't think so. And I'm curious as we get across a whole span of survivors of crime and violence um, and the families and um, police, prosecutors, courts, public defenders, as we just go through this whole, the whole range of stakeholders in the system. If we can come up with what is justice and what we're looking to obtain. Because I really don't think it's there. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for the comments, guys. Namish, Eric, I really appreciate the comments. We'll be back on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central Chicago time. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Oh, no. Oh.